southern Kentucky, wasn't it? Kind of southern Kentucky. It was a more rural area. Jesus grew up in this beautiful area around the Sea of Galilee. And when we started, when we started our series, that's where Jesus was. And he was going from town to town, away from Knoxville, just about that distance from southern Kentucky to Knoxville. Um, and he was going from town to town, and he was teaching. And people were warning him, remember, Herod came, the, the Pharisees said, Herod's trying to kill you. And he said, you go tell that fox, I'm going to do what I'm doing today, I'm going to do what I'm doing tomorrow, and the third day, I'm going to reach my goal. And uh, he said, I'm not going to be killed here in Galilee. But he knew that he was heading for Jerusalem. So he started in Galilee. And then the next week we went to Bethany, and Bethany, we told you, was just a couple miles from Jerusalem. Now we're, now we're from Fountain City to, to Knoxville. There's just a, a signpost, really, between where Jesus was when he was in Bethany at the house of Martha and Mary and Lazarus and uh, when he gets to Jerusalem. Then the following week, you know that he rode into Jerusalem, and we followed him there uh, on Palm Sunday, and we called that Selection Sunday because he was the select Lamb of God uh, on that Sunday. And then uh, last week we followed, uh, and then at the end of that sermon we followed him to the cross. And then last week, interestingly enough, on Resurrection Sunday, that's the one Sunday where Jesus actually never shows up in the story. When we read the account of the resurrection, Jesus was not there. And we were asked to believe a young man with a white shirt on, remember? That, uh, that, uh, that Jesus Christ had risen. And we were asked to accept that by faith. And the, and the young man actually said, now I want you to go back to Galilee, so back where we were, back to southern Kentucky again, you know, leave Jerusalem, go back to where... You guys grew up around the Sea of Galilee. Go back there, and Jesus is going to meet with you there. And so that's where we're going to pick up our story today. This is actually the third time that Jesus has met with the apostles after the resurrection. And this is the very end of the Gospel of John. So the Gospel of John, the 21st chapter, this is the last thing that John has to say about us. If you know anything in the Bible about last things, last words were very important back then. What you said last was pretty important. So John is going to deal with an important subject last uh, as, we, as we begin our story today. And I'm calling this message today the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room. Beginning with verse 15 of John chapter 1, it says this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. 
Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Anybody know who the disciple that Jesus loved was? John. John's writing this gospel, so he doesn't say me. But he does say the disciple that Jesus loved. Um, This was the one who leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus didn't say he wouldn't die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the world would not be able to contain the books that could be written. That's John's final word to us, the Gospel of John, his final words to us. Let me give you some context to the Scripture that we just read. If we had taken the time to read the entire chapter of John 21. The disciples, after Jesus had risen, he's not with them all the time. He just appears to them from time to time. Peter decides that he's going to go fishing, and he's a natural leader. And if Peter says, I'm going fishing, there were seven others of the disciples that said, we're going with you. So the Bible tells us in John 29 that they went out on this fishing excursion And they fished all night, but didn't catch anything. They didn't catch anything. Now, I think this is significant that they fished all night and didn't catch anything because it really represents life without Jesus. You can work and you can work and you can work and never really produce. In fact, we all know people who've worked all their lives, maybe they've made a lot of money, maybe they've been very successful, but at the end of the day, they really have nothing to show for their lives. They fish all night and they catch nothing. And, and, and Jesus sees them. He's standing on the shore, and the Bible says they're about 100 yards away, so they're a football field away from Jesus. They're that close to the shore can kind of see him, but not really make out who it is. Jesus says to them, cast your nets on the right side. I don't think it's significant that he said the right or the left or whatever. I think that what's significant is he gave them a specific instruction. And when they followed Jesus' specific instructions, the Bible says immediately they caught so much fish they couldn't handle them that the net broke. In fact, the Bible goes on to give the detail, 153 fish and large fish. These were keepers. So so here they work all night long without Jesus, catch nothing. But one word from Jesus, they cast their nets on the other side, and immediately they, they, they catch 
It's really a picture of, of, of the life of grace that, that God gives us what we don't deserve. We worked, you know, under the law with, without Christ. We, we tried on our own to do it, and our lives came up empty. But one word from the Lord, we obey it, and suddenly our lives become abundant and bountiful. And, and this happened, and, and Peter does like Peter, like the, like the Peter we've all come to know and love. He jumps out of the boat. John says, it's the Lord. Peter jumps out of the boat and he starts swimming to the shore. I mean, he just he's just hightailing it to the shore uh, to get to be where Jesus was. They get to the shore and this is where the story turns for the first time. There's a little detail in the story that you don't really pick up in the English. It says, they saw a fire of coals with Jesus cooking fish and bread. The Greek word is anthra, anthrakian. Anthrakian, a, a fire of coals. It's a special fire. It's a, it's a fire of coals. Now, the reason that's significant in the Greek is this, is because that, that, that kind of fire is only mentioned one other time in all of Scripture. And the other time that it's mentioned is when... Peter is standing in the cold on the evening of Maundy Thursday, the night that Jesus is arrested. And he's outside a pilot's hall and he's warming himself by an anthrakian, a, a fire made out of coals. And you remember there's a little girl that recognizes his Galilean accent and says, you're one of them, aren't you? you you've been hanging around with Jesus. You, you've got the accent. I, I know. And, and Peter says, no, I, I don't know him. And the girl asks, we know that you've been with, no, I don't know. And three times, three times Peter denies that he knows the Lord. And the Bible says that when he denied him the third time, what happens? The rooster crows, right? So there's rooster crows and if you, if you know the story well, Jesus had predicted, Peter, you will deny me three times, and the rooster will crow after you uh, deny me three times. So suddenly, there's an elephant in the room. The, the pic, for those that might be listening on the internet, there's a picture on the wall of a woman that's sitting on her couch, and in her living room, there's an elephant. But she's got red wallpaper in her living room with decorations on it, and the elephant is painted the exact same color as her wallpaper. It's not a very good disguise for an elephant. She's got an elephant in the room. It looks like the wall, but hey, there's an elephant in the room. <laughs> you can't well hide an elephant. And John is doing us a great favor here. Why, why is John choosing to end his gospel with his story? Well, the next time that we're going to see Peter, he's going to be on the day of Pentecost, and he's going to be preaching, and, 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 uh, 
and there's going to be 3,000 people get saved. But if you had not had this story, you would just see Peter denying Jesus, and the next time you see him, it's on the day of Pentecost, and John's going to fill in the rest of the story for us. So we need to know how it is that Peter can go from denying Jesus three times to being the the, the one on the day of Pentecost, who who is the one that that represents the apostles and and preaches the message and, 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 and the church is born. But there's another reason that I think John includes this story, and I think it's not just so that we'll know about Peter, but the second reason it's important is because that some of us, in the year 2013, in Knoxville, Tennessee, at Life Church this morning, we have in our lives some unfinished business. If we were honest this morning, in this room there are elephants. There, 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 there's unfinished business in our lives. There's, there's things that we don't talk about. There's, there's unresolved conflicts maybe within our family. Maybe sins in our lives that have, have gone unrepented of and, and, and they're with us and we, we go on like nothing and we can paint them up like wallpaper. But the truth of the matter is they are elephants in the room and in our lives. You can't hide an elephant. It's an elephant for goodness sake. And Jesus asks Peter a question, and his initial question to Peter is this. Do you love me more than these? Now, there's a lot of debate about more than, when he says more than these. What is he talking about when he's saying these? Uh, some would say that he's talking about more than these fish or more than these boats, more than, more than your fishing lifestyle. Do you love me more than your desire to fish? Because, Peter, you love to fish and all that. But... I prefer Arthur Pink's um, understanding of this passage where he argues that Jesus isn't saying, do you love me more than these fish? And these, but he's saying, do you love me more than these other apostles? And, and what he's really saying is, do you love me more than all of these other apostles love me? And the reason that, that Pink says that, that, that he is... He is, he is saying that is because before the cross, Peter had been bragging about his superior love. In fact, in Matthew 26, he says, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet I will never be offended. Peter had said, Lord, if everybody else leaves you, You can count on me. I'm your guy. I'll be with you through thick and thin. And so Jesus says, do you really love me more than these? And it's interesting how he addresses him. He addresses him as Simon, son of John. Now this must have stung because... Jesus had given Peter had given Simon a new name, and the new name was Peter. Peter, you know, meant rock. Jesus had said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But now he goes back to sort of his, his pre-Christian name, and, 
and, and says to him, Simon, son of John. After Jesus had called him Peter. But it also recalled another time that Jesus had called him Simon. As we said, you are Simon, but you shall be Peter. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. So he would have also remembered that God had a plan for his life. Another time that Jesus had called him Simon was in in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 to 33. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that so your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I thought about that in terms of this baby dedication this morning because um, the good news, uh, James and Ginger, is that God's hand is on your baby. The bad news is your child is going to mess up like all of us. The Bible says that all of us, right, have sinned and, uh, and come short of the glory of God. And Jesus saw Peter before he committed his grave sin and said, Simon, I know you're going to do it, but I want you to know something else. I've prayed for you. And when you get on the other side of this, you're going to strengthen the brothers. And I want to say to the O'Donnell family this morning, This is why dedicating these babies is so important. Because what we're saying is, we know, we know that she's not going to be perfect. But we've prayed for her. And we know that that, that when she makes mistakes, that's not the final word in her life. He who has begun a good work in her is going to carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? We've prayed for her this morning. We've prayed beyond the point of her sin. We've looked forward to the day that she's going to make that commitment on her own to receive Jesus as her Savior. We've prayed for that day. We've seen it in our eyes when she's going to be baptized and filled with God's Holy Spirit. So we know that the enemy has plans for our lives to rob, kill, and destroy, but the Bible says that I am come that you might have life and that you might live it to the full. And so he says, do you love me? That's something else we don't really pick up in the English because he uses the Greek word agapao, the word agape comes from that. Do you dearly love me? It's that deepest kind of love. Do you dearly love me more than these dearly love me? Do you love me more than these guys do? Is your love for me so deep it's deeper than their love? And in the English Bible, we just find Peter saying, you know that I love you. But the truth is he uses a different word for love. Peter uses the word, you know that I phileo you. Philadelphia comes from that word phileo, brotherly love, the city of brotherly love. You know that I, you know that I, one of the top meanings of that word means, you know that I approve of you. I'm seeing a, a different version of Peter this time. Peter's not bragging about how deep is his love. He's not talking about how, you know, Lord, I agape you. My love for you is so deep. But he just just stands there with that that fire coal burning. You know, I thought about that coal of fire. I think think all of us can relate to that. There's there's certain things that we've done in our lives that that will pass. um, Maybe maybe you'll go by an exit of a city and it reminds you of the, the city where you made some bad mistake. 
or you hear somebody's name and it reminds you, oh my, this is somebody that I've offended. We have those little reminders, those little stingers in life, if you will, those, those little reminders of, of, of past things in our lives that have happened. And so here, here Jesus is cooking by this coal. That, that was no accident, Daniel. There's only two times mentioned in the Bible that Jesus would be standing by a coal fire. The only other time it's mentioned is when Peter's standing there. Denying Jesus. Do you love me? Do you agape me? And then Jesus says, after he says, yes, you know that I do, Jesus said, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. He said, Peter, I don't need poetry from you. You know, you know we have these crazy ideas about love, don't you? You know, me and Melanie, we're in love. We love that. You know, every day, Melanie and I wake up, and every day is a holiday, and every meal is a feast. If you believe that, I'll tell you some more lies. <laughs> we love each other dearly, and we feel that love, but you know what? We don't feel that love constantly 24 7. You know how most of our love is exercised? It's just in the and the daily caring for one another. It's the going to work. It's the getting. It's the serving one another through tough times and good times and in bad whatever. So, so Jesus is saying to Peter, I don't need you jumping out of boats. Just, just feed my lambs. I want you to notice Jesus didn't say feed your lambs. He said feed my lambs. I want to make a point out of that that it's not Peter's church. It's Jesus' church. Good Catholic theology would say that, that, that Peter was, uh, uh, th- that the Pope is, the word is the, the titular head of the church, which means he's the symbolic head of the church. But Jesus is the head of the church. Never confuse Peter, whose name means rock, as the rock of our salvation. His name actually means little rock. But the scripture says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with who being the chief cornerstone? With Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone that the church is built on. Now let me tell you something. People that misunderstand that and over-elevate those folks, let me tell you something. That's, that's, that's not a Catholic problem and it's not a pro- When I turn on Christian television, I see more... Christian leaders trying to act like it's their church. This, and, and so we got these big people, these, these celebrity-type leaders of the church. And, and Jesus isn't saying that. He's saying to Peter, feed my lambs. Everyone know where I'm coming from there? I, I wanted to say at the outset of me leading here at, at Life Church, I'm not the head of this church. We really believe that Jesus is the living head of Life Church. That the directions that we're getting are coming from Him. Amen. It's good preaching anyway. <laughs> so we ask Him a second time Do you agapao me? Do you love me? Now He's not asking, Do you love me more than these guys love me? Now He's just saying, Do you even agapao me. Do you even deeply love me? And Peter responds 
Lord, you know that I phileo you. You know that, that I approve of you. And then Jesus uses a different word. This time he doesn't say, feed my lambs. He says, shepherd my sheep. I want you to be, and this is an interesting terminology because now he's going from fishermen and when I think of fishing, I think of evangelism. I'll make you fishers of men. I'll, I'll make you evangelists, fishers. But now he's saying, he's moving the analogy from fish to sheep because, because leading the church is not just about winning souls, but it's about caring for the flock. And so he's saying to Peter, who would be the first leader of the church of Jerusalem, I want you to care for the flock. And then the third time Jesus says, do you love me? Now, this is why it's important to understand it in the Greek, because the, the third time he doesn't even use the word agape. The third time Jesus says, okay, Peter, do you phileo me? Wow. First of all, Jesus challenges him, do you love me more than the disciples love me? The second time he challenges him, do you love me deeply? And Peter keeps saying, you know, I phileo you, I phileo you. And then finally Jesus says, do you even phileo me? And Peter, the Bible says Peter was hurt the third time. Why do you think Peter was hurt the third time? I think Peter was hurt the third time because there's a significance to the fact that Jesus asked him three times. Peter denies Jesus three times, and he gives, and, and he gives him an opportunity three times to state that he loves Jesus. And then he says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. You see, Peter had always been an early adopter. Have you heard that term, early adopter? Early adopter is, is pastors like early adopters. Early adopters are the people when the pastor says, we're going a new direction in the church. They say, yay, pastor! That's the kind of guy Peter was. Yeah, Jesus, I'll die for you. We all like early adopters, but can I be honest with you this morning? Sometimes the early adopters are not going to be your best followers. In fact, Jesus tells a parable about the guy who said he would go, and then he didn't, and then a guy who said he wouldn't go, and then he did. You know what I'm talking about? So Peter, who had always been this gung-ho, early adopter guy, now is, now is a more reluctant, he's a more subdued, he's more realistic. I think he's more ready to lead. I think he's more ready to lead the church. And Jesus says to him, Peter, when you were young, you dressed yourself And went wherever you wanted. Peter, you were, you know, you know what I used to call myself to my kids? I'm embarrassed to admit this to you. I used to call myself, what did I call myself, Mel? Indestructo man. Indestructo man. Natalie, Christiana, no, I'm indestructo man. I never get sick. I I'm, I'm indestructible. It was, it was a joke. 
but now I've had my gallbladder removed. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Something happened. You know, I used to eat pizza and never gain a pound. Now I, walk, I drive by Pizza Hut and I gain weight. You, you know what I'm saying? Things start changing. Peter's more reluctant. He's more real. Peter, when you were young, you were indestructo, man. You, you dressed yourself. You did anything you wanted to. But he said, you know what, Peter? When you're old, somebody else is going to dress you. And you're going to go where you don't want to go. And he said this to tell him the kind of death that he was going to die. Peter had said earlier, I'm going to die for you, Jesus. I'm willing to die for you, Jesus. And now Jesus is saying, yeah, you are. It's going to be different now. It's not going to be some gung-ho deal, but it's going to be you're going to obediently follow me, not because you want to do it, but because you've, you've learned the life. How many know as you grow older, you just learn some, you just learn, you know what I'm talking about, Norma, you just learn some stuff. There's some stuff that there's no way around, Eulen, than just getting older. You just, you just, you just go through some stuff. So Peter's going to go through some stuff. And uh, you know what I love about this interaction? Now Peter doesn't say, you bet. He, he, I love what Peter does here. John is standing next to him and he goes, what about John? <laughs> Isn't that real? That is so authentic. This is the kind of guy that Jesus can work with now. And, and Jesus said to Peter, M-Y-O-B, mind your own business. I'm not talking to John. <laughs> I'm talking to you. <laughs> Can I say that your discipleship is specifically designed for you, Mark? Nobody else is going to walk your path. No, but it, it, we're not cookie-cutter Christians. I don't know why, Liz, you've been through some stuff that others of us haven't had to go through. I don't know why other people have had to go through stuff that you haven't had to go through. All I know is that God's got his own plan uniquely designed for each one of our lives. And he says to Peter, follow me. Just just to, to let you know what ended up happening. Church tradition tells us that Peter did die for his faith. And what church tradition says is that the way that he died is he was he had to die on a cross. But he felt so unworthy. He felt so unworthy to die the way that Jesus died, that he said, hang me upside down. Tradition tells us that Peter hung upside down on a cross. So here's what I want to say to us. This is your little take-homes for today. This hasn't been a really note-taking kind of a sermon, seven points to a successful week. But I do want to give you some take-homes 
because some of us have unfinished business. I want to say, and this is part of us maturing as a church. I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to all of us. Be diligent to address unresolved issues in your life. Let me say that again. Be diligent to address unresolved issues in your lives. There's a book called Jesus CEO. It talks about the leadership aspects of Jesus. And one of the points, and I forget her name who wrote the book, she says that leaders are willing to call the question. And what she means by that is leaders are people who are willing to call an elephant an elephant. We have to identify those little stingers in our lives, those little See, Peter just wanted to act like nothing had happened, right? Let's just go on, Jesus. Let's, let's, uh, let's just finish our time out here. Hey, Jesus, you know. In fact, maybe he doesn't even know that Jesus knew about the little fire incident until he sees that coal, those fires, those, those, that coal fire. So I'm asking you this morning... I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's a relationship that you need to, 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 to make right. I, I, I tortured one of my junior high teachers. I was hell on wheels in her class. I just didn't hit it off with her. And I, I made it my goal to make her life miserable in that class. But I got under conviction about that and and she had a summer job working in a grocery store and I remember going into that grocery store and seeing my teacher working behind the the counter of the bakery and I remembered I knew I had to I had to make it right with her and I walked around that grocery store I don't know how many times without stopping by the bakery and finally I just made my way to the front of the bakery and I said Hey, I was a real pain in your class last year, and I just have to apologize for that. Yeah, and, I, and I'm glad I did because every time I would see her, every uh, there, there was always the little stinger, that, that little reminder. We all have those things, those people in our lives that we could make things right with. So be diligent to address the unresolved issues in your life. And number two, this is something that Jesus did so skillfully with Peter. Allow the other party to save face. In other words, when you go to make it right, don't remind them of how hideous they were to you. Allow the other party. Notice what Jesus didn't say. Hey, Pete, where's all the tough talk about not denying me? That's not how you make it right. He allowed the other party uh, to save face. And then the last thing I want to say to us is normalize the relationship. Once you've resolved a conflict, what's really important is how you act around that person the very next time you see them. So that the next time Jesus gets with Peter, he's not always, there's not always that undercurrent where he's, you know, you know every time he sees him, he, he makes a coal fire. He doesn't do that. You know what I mean? So, so normalize the relationship. One thing I think is so important in marriage is don't collect stamps. We used to call it collecting stamps. Some of you don't know what stamp collecting is from S&H stamps. You know what I'm talking about? 
you can do that in a marriage where, I remember five years ago, Melanie, you said to me this. You know what? If we got through the issue five years ago, it's no longer fair game to talk about. You can't collect those stamps and bring back all of those past things uh, into your marriage. And this is John's last word in his gospel, and last words are important. God has big things in store for, for, for many of your lives. I think he's got big things in store for June's life over there. I think he's got big things in store for the O'Donnell's life. And, you know, they're going through a tough time right now where, you know, James, James is property of the U.S. government, and he's got to do what Uncle Sam says. And right now Uncle Sam is telling him that they're going to have to leave us soon. But... Um, one thing that I've been telling James in our group, you know what, Uncle Sam's not in control of your life. God's in control of your life. And if you're being moved, God's got plans for your life. You believe that? That God's, God's, God's at work here. And God's, uh, God's doing great things there. So this morning I wanted to talk to us about elephants in the room, things that we need to resolve. And then next week I'm going to talk to us about, because some of you are thinking about this right now, what about those elephants I can do nothing about? There's some of us that have conflicts with people who have already gone on before. Or maybe it's somebody who, who abused us and we cannot, we cannot confront the abuser. What do we do with those things? Maybe it's an incident that happened in our life that we regret and there's, there's no way we can, we can take it back. We've done everything we know to do, but it's still, it's still an elephant in our life. We're going to talk about that next week. What do we do about those kind of things? But today, the Bible says, whatever you can do, do it. As much as it's possible, live at peace among the brothers. If you go to the altar and you remember something that you've got against them, the Bible says, quit it. Quit worshiping and go make it right, then come back and worship because your worship's going to be messed up until you make it right. And so, you know, the Bible says that even in marital conflict that our prayers are hindered. That if we have conflict in our, in our marriage until we get that worked out, our prayers just seem to bounce off the ceilings. So we've got to make those things right as we can so that, so that we're, we're clear with God. And, and Jesus, that was the last thing John told us. Very important. I, I'm going to finish my gospel with this, he said. Peter committed a great sin, but there was a great reconciliation. He denied me three times, but three times he said that he loved me, not in some braggadocious way, but in an honest, real way. I love the Lord, but I, I don't know how much. I, I, I hope I love I love him, I, I say, with all my heart. I don't know, but I just want to live my life in a way that walks it out, that works it out, that says that, that I love him. Um, Byron, would you come on up? I, I want to end the service today by teaching you a chorus. We're going to wait on you for the morning tithe and offering. But before we do, I want to take an opportunity to um, talk to the Lord about this. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some of our conflict may be with the Lord. We just may need to make things right with him. 
So let's bow our heads right now and close our eyes and I just want to ask this morning, is there anybody here today that would just say, Pastor, I got the word today, and I just want to make things right with God this morning. If that's you, would you just raise your hand across this building? Lord, I I want to clear everything that there is to clear. Just make my relationship right. Would you raise your hand across this building? Today, maybe I just want to give my heart to you for the first time, Lord. Today, I just want to say I want to serve you with all my heart. If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand in this building? Thank you, Lord. Let's bow our heads right now. And I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, we thank you for this day. And we thank you that you have forgiven us of our sins. Help us to make those things right that we can. Forgive us of our sins. And help us to forgive those who sinned against us. We thank you for this day. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives and in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Byron, 